Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. Wonderful singing. Amen. Thank you for that. I want to invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you do not have a Bible, I encourage you to take the Bible from the chair in front of you. It begins on the passage. Our text is actually going to be the last three words on page 827. We'll be looking at a little bit before that. And then on to page 828, we do not have the the text on the screen this morning. And normally, my slides are done by somebody else earlier in the week. And with the changes, with the unexpected adjustments from our perspective, though God is not caught off guard, uh, we do not have those this morning, but we'll draw your attention to God's Word and trust that you will be able to follow along. I want us to consider the the aspect this morning, do, do we trust our Bible? We all know the right answer to that. But how does it play out in how we live? Matthew struggled with health issues. Illness took his brother and almost ended his life as well. He penned these words, I love the Word of God. I esteem it above all. I find my heart so inclined. I desire it as the food for my soul. I greatly delight in it, both in reading and hearing it. And my soul can witness subjection to it in some measure. I love the Word of God for the purity of it. Now, those are great words, but what is so impressive is this was written by Matthew a few months after his 11th birthday. Even a child can know the Word of God. In the preface to Matthew Henry's section of the lives of Philip and Matthew Henry, it says, although it is customary to value men according to their ancestry, their opulence, their literature, and other secular distinctions, an attentive observer cannot fail to have remarked how little notice is taken in Scripture's biography of the circumstances so entirely adventitious. The emphasis in Scripture is is not so much on family background or what somebody does, but their walk with the Lord. When we come to this passage of Scripture, it really is a key aspect, both in the emphasis on the place of Scripture, but also the priority of trusting God's Word for life. What I want us to consider this morning is that the Bible is entirely sufficient for salvation, and for the development of the believer into full maturity. God's Word is sufficient both for our salvation and for our development, that we would grow as believers into full maturity. And what I want us to see from this passage is that God's Word provides the foundation for our life. The Word proceeds from a trustworthy source. It is God's Word and that it's profitable for life and for maturity. These are the areas that I want us to consider in in this final letter that Paul is writing to Timothy. We actually just finished reading this uh, as we were concluding the the old year and coming into the new year. 
we had been reading in our church reading through this letter. And at the beginning of this letter, Paul, in his admonishing of his spiritual son in the faith, tells them, when you call to remembrance, in chapter 1, verse 5, when I call to remembrance the genuine, the unhypocritical faith that is in you, but that was first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I'm persuaded it's in you. Paul said, I see the evidence of this, but you have a heritage. Here in chapter 3, Paul is encouraging Timothy to remain faithful. And that really is a good challenge for all of us, and particularly as we come to a new year. Sometimes we think back on the past year and say, you know, that wasn't a great year. I'm glad that's in the past. Sometimes we look at failures and say, well, I'm going to change this year. And it's not wrong to set goals, but if we're going to do it in our own strength, we're we're going to fail again. That it really needs to be that resolution before the Lord. And recognizing that Paul is admonishing Timothy, he's warning him that that there are going to be challenges. That times change and people change. And he's to be steadfast. And I trust that that would be our desire for this year. that That we not lose ground in our spiritual walk, but instead we grow. We grow in godliness. We grow in Christ-likeness. If you have your Bibles open, follow with me. I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. We'll read down through, through the end of this chapter. 2 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 14. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to Your Word this morning, we pray that we would be truly hearers, that we would apply it personally, that we would allow Your Word to instruct, but also convict and change. And Lord, we would pray that if there's one here that does not know You as their personal Savior, that they would understand how the Scriptures can make them wise unto salvation. And Lord, while our plans are are not what Yours are, and we have had changes today that we did not anticipate, we know that nothing has caught You off guard. And so as we look into your word, we pray that we would apply it personally and that you would be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is warning Timothy that there are going to be difficult days ahead. I think as we look around us, that would not surprise us either. When we see the challenges, the trials, the the uncertainties, and the wickedness within our culture, And so he's warning him. In fact, if you look back at the very first verse of this chapter, he says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The the times are changing. And and we look back and we see that, and, and the world is getting worse and worse. It's going from bad to worse. Sometimes we want to think, well, it's never been this bad before. Well, actually, it has. You know, when when you read through the Bible, the days of Noah. The, the, the persecution that came in the first century upon believers. That, that, but there are perilous times. 
I would say we live in a perilous time. People will also change. In verse 2 it says, for, for men will be lovers of themselves. And Paul is going to now give the characteristics of depravity in verses 2 through 5. I think it's interesting when you look at these, it says, for men will be lovers of themselves. Notice how often the word love is used in this. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. These are the characteristics. And how often we see that, it begins with that self-love. They love themselves. The the difference between biblical love and self-love. The Bible tells us that, that biblical love covers a multitude of sins. The idea there is it's not trying to air the dirty laundry. It's trying to keep things as limited as necessary, to keep things private and appropriate in encouraging change. And and so we see that self-love loves to broadcast failures because they look better. And whether they're real or perceived, they, they involve people that really have no right to know. Then it goes on, they're lovers of money. They're lovers of pleasure. They're not lovers of what is good. They don't have natural affection, and and they don't love God. And we see this this happening, and don't we see that in our culture? The hatred toward God. I I find it interesting sometimes, I'm in some social media groups that are just very broad, and, and somebody will make some comment of how somebody could be helped by God's Word. And the vitriol that comes. Like, why is that? Well, because debating on social media changes minds so readily. <laughs> like, yeah, that never happens. But there's an animosity. There's a hatred. And we see that. And so what does it say? Verse 5 says, they have a form of godliness. They seem to want to serve God. There's an appearance of devotion to the Lord, but they won't change. They refuse the power. They deny the power of this. So what are we supposed to do? Verse 5 tells us, from such turn away. Avoid this kind of person. We have to be discerning. Well, that seems so judgmental. Well, we have to understand evil companions corrupt good morals. And so there's a responsibility according to God's Word to choose wisely those who influence because people change. Which way are we going to move this year? So in verse 13, Paul brings this up again. He says, the evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Not only do they deceive others, they themselves are self-deceived. And Paul is warning Timothy, here are the characteristics. Things are getting worse. People are going to change. You need to avoid that kind of person because you need to grow in godliness. I think it's wise for us to recognize nobody is stagnant. It might seem like they're not growing, but they're becoming harder. They're being calloused. And, and we, we recognize that. They, they progress in wickedness. Our culture is very creative about sin. There's a creativity concerning corruption. 
And that should not be prevalent. That should not be the testimony of our lives. So, so Paul is now calling Timothy to remain faithful. And that's what we find in verse 14. But you must continue in what you have learned. Saying, Timothy, be steadfast. Be grounded in Christ. Regardless of what happens around you. And he's, he's mentioned persecution is going to come. That, that that's going to happen. In fact, he says in, in verse 12 that all who desire to live godly in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Do you want to live godly? Don't be shocked when the world hates you. Because that's the world in which we live. There is a spiritual battle raging. But he's saying, Timothy, you can be grounded in Christ. And so we, we have to understand that we can live faithful Christian lives because of God's Word as we submit ourselves to it. Because God's Word is sufficient, it's complete for both our salvation and growing into spiritual maturity. And that's what I want us to see in this passage. That we can grow faithfully because first of all, God's Word provides the foundation for life. Paul is telling Timothy, from a child... You have known the Holy Scriptures. He's reminding him of the message that he has learned. That's why our children's ministry is such a vital part of our ministry. Investing in our children, that they would hear the Word of God, that they would know the truth, and and understanding that they're, they're learning things that the Holy Spirit can use later in life. You know, sometimes I talk to parents and their children have wandered away from the Lord and they say, but they know better. Yes, and so pray for them. Well, they're resistant. Yes, but you don't know how God's Spirit will use God's Word in those moments when they can't sleep at night. And they're not going to be telling you, but God's going to work. And so we pray. So he, he says he's reminding them of the message, the substance of it, of what you have learned. He says, Timothy, you've been taught these things. Don't forget them. That's one of the reasons I think it's so good for us to continue to be going through God's Word because like, oh, I've already read that. I already know that. Yes, but are we applying it? And understanding God has not promised to work apart from His Word. He's revealed Himself by His Word. We saw that last month when we, when we took five weeks and looked at John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. That God has revealed Himself by the Word, both the inspired Word and the incarnate Word. God performs His works through His Word. Hebrews, 13, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. God spoke the world into existence. So he performs his work through his word and salvation, new birth, comes through the word. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 says, having been born again, not of corruptible or perishable seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. See, St. Timothy, remember the substance of what you've been taught and understand the certainty of it that you've been assured of. See, false teachers are going to be coming with something new. And, and we see that back in verse 7. We didn't read that far, but, but he's saying they're going to go from bad to worse. They're going to come with new ideas. And verse 7 says, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul's telling Timothy, you don't need something novel. You, need, you don't need novelty. You need orthodoxy. You need 
edification, not entertainment. God's Word provides that. And so he's saying, Timothy, remember, you've been assured of this because the knowledge of God's Word is going to promote endurance. How do we be stable in an unstable world? We have to be grounded in God's Word. The Word provides the foundation for life. It, it helps us in that. And he, so he's reminding him of the messenger message, but he also reminds him of who taught him. The messengers in verse, in, in verse 14, he says, knowing that from, from whom you have learned them. Remember what you've learned, but also remember who taught you. And he's taking him back to his youth, to his childhood. He said, from a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, the sacred writings, and you've learned these from your mother, Eunice, your grandmother, Lois. They were examples of this, and they were teachers of this. And I, and I don't want us to miss this because the character and example, the testimony is important. You know, we all have a testimony. The question is, what kind of testimony do we have? That, that those around us have perceptions of us. I find a, a, an interesting example of this back in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Saul has rejected God. He, Saul is the king of Israel. He's rejected God. He's disobeyed. And after warning, after warning, he just won't do it. He's, he's seeking himself. He wants to promote himself. And, and so the, the Lord rejects him. And, and because of that, the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit, that theocratic anointing by the Holy Spirit is taken away from Saul and an evil spirit troubles Saul. So he's having some pretty significant emotional, physical, mental issues going on. And he's the king. And so that doesn't sit well for the nation. And so his, his helpers say, you need, you need somebody who can come and play music that will help calm this. That seemed to be working for him. And so the, he said, okay, find somebody who is skillful in music for me. That was the one qualification. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, ver, verse 18, one of his workers says, well, I know a young man from Israel. He's a skilled musician He's a mighty man of valor. He's a man of war. He's prudent in speech. And the Lord is with him. David had a testimony. All they wanted was somebody who was a skilled musician. And, and he said, I know somebody. And he has that. But he also has courage. He knows what to say and what not to say. He knows when to keep his mouth shut. He's prudent in speech. He's actually good-looking. That's one of the things that's mentioned in that. And God is with him. David was probably about 16 years old at that time. That was his testimony as a teenager. Matthew Henry, as an 11-year-old, is writing about the place God's Word has in his life. That fellowship with the Lord had, had, had molded David as well. And so he's... Paul is now reminding Timothy, remember what you've learned, that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, the, the sacred writings, and that's really referring to the Old Testament. We don't have a lot of detail about Timothy's home. In Acts chapter 16, verse 1, we, we surmise that while his mother was a Jewish believer, it says his father was a Greek uh, and, and probably not a believer because it would have been mentioned if, if there, he were. And yet, Timothy still learned the Bible. 
that from a very young age, from childhood, the, the Greek word that is used there is actually a word that is used for infants at times. And now he's old enough to have learned, but from his earliest recollections, from, from his days in the nursery, he had learned Jesus loved him. He had known the Bible. He, ran, he memorized those verses, whatever verses they would have memorized out of the Old Testament. He had a great example. This is a great example for us as parents and grandparents to be teaching our children and our grandchildren. He said, you, you've known this example from your parents. And, and these noble personalities had ministered in Timothy's life. He saw the unhypocritical faith. It wasn't that his mom or grandmother were perfect, but, but they were sincere. That's Chapter 1, verse 5. Then he had been mentored by Paul. Here's a, a godly man in his life, a man of God. You know, that's, that's the value of a church family. That we can minister to one another, that we can encourage our children and look for those opportunities to assist and invest in the, the lives of, of our, our children and young people. And he's saying, recognize the source of this truth, the holy scriptures, the sacred writings. And as I've mentioned, that, would, that was really referring to the Old Testament. That's why it's so good for us to read the entire Bible, to read through, to have a plan, that, that he would know these things and then continue to grow. You know, where does our, where does our information come from? In our culture, we have, we have some people, it's just their intuition, it's their gut feeling. Well, I just, I just feel like this is right. And that's much of our society today. You know, it's, been, it's the Oprah-ized culture. How does it make you feel? You know, I, I get so tired of hearing that question. Somebody wins a ball game. Like, how do you feel about this victory? How do you think they feel? You know, it's, but it's all feeling. And sometimes even when people say, well, I think, it's not actually intellectual. It's visceral. It's emotional. For some people, that's all they need. Others, well, it's, it's empiricism. It's truth that's proved by life. Oh, well, well what, what does experience, can I measure it? For others, it's reason. Well, if it makes sense to me, the problem is our minds are affected by sin. That's part of the, the total depravity that, that sin has affected every area of our being. And reason is not designed to function apart from God's revelation. It says in Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. We need God's Word. We need revelation. And that's really where our truth needs to come from. What does God say? Truth is what God has said or would say about any topic. And that's why our, we have to be submissive to that, that intuition should be instructed by God's Word. So that, that what we feel is, is, in, is really molded and guided by the Word of God. Let Scripture guide you, not your emotions, not your gut. That emotions need to be directed by the truth. That, that heart issues are not going to be measurable in the way that, that science might say. And when we hear studies of how, you know, behaviorism and all, right, it tells us how unbelieving people behave in those situations. But we can't remove the Spirit of God's work in changing people. 
and recognizing this, that reason needs to submit to God's revelation. Thus says the Lord. God's Word has to be foundational. The second thing, though, that I want us to see in this, that the Bible not only provides the, the knowledge for suffic- sufficient for Scriptures, it's because the words proceeds from a reliable source. And, and we see that in verse 15. From childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to make you wise to salvation. Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspired is the idea there, it is breathed out by God. And we've talked about this before. I've, I've used the illustration that we have different books, but it's all God's Word. And it sounds different because different human instruments are used. That the Holy Spirit works through them. I've, I've used the illustration with our, with our orchestra, with our brass players, that, that you could have one of our brass players come up here and they could pip, pick up a trumpet and it's going to sound different than if they pick up a trombone or if they pick up a piccolo trumpet. But it's the same breath of that master musician. God's Word is the breath of God. But the writing of Peter sounds different than Paul. I, I chuckle whenever I read it in, in, in Peter's letter when he says some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. Like, okay, if another apostle is having trouble understanding Paul at times, I, under, I get it. But they sound different because of their backgrounds. The David as the, the shepherd, but it's the Word of God. And recognizing when, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's why the proclamation of the Word is central to our ministry. And recognizing this, that, that we understand this aspect, that God's Word is trustworthy because of the source. And then I want us to see as well that we need to remain faithful because of the function of God's Word. That the Word is profitable both for spiritual life and spiritual maturity. That God's Word provides the foundation for our life. God's Word proceeds from a reliable source and God's Word is profitable for life and maturity. The, first, the two reasons that are given here of what, what does the Bible do? Well, the first is it makes wise to salvation. There, there's, a, there's a wisdom here. The second is it matures the Christian to perfection, to completeness. But recognizing this aspect, there's, there is a special kind of wisdom that is not the worldly wisdom, but it brings a person to salvation. The wisdom of the world will not lead to Jesus Christ. And it's a sad state when, when we or when our children are wise concerning the things of the world, but they don't know the Word. You know, they, they can know the pop culture, they can know movies and music and video games and, and sports and computer technology, and, and they can have all of that. And unfortunately, our kids are often wise concerning sin. One of our goals is to keep them naive. But it's a battle in our culture. But are they wise concerning Scripture? That which will make them wise to salvation. You know, we as adults need to be on guard too. We can know finance and politics and technology and world events and business. Do we know the Bible? Would we resolve to know God's Word this year? 
I, my heart was encouraged as uh, toward the end of last year, one of, one of our, our men who's, who's well in his 80s pulled out that Bible reading sheet that we'd given out last year that we'd made available. And, and it was wrinkled, it was marked up, and, and he showed it to me. He said, I, I'm almost through with this. I've almost made it through. And, and then he made the comment, he said, I'm such a rookie at this. I thought, what a wonderful testimony of somebody who's, who's growing even in later life. That, yes, a Matthew Henry at 11 can know God's Word, and so can those in their 80s and 90s know God's Word. That God's Word will sustain us through life. And understanding Scripture instructs concerning salvation. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. We considered that back in Romans chapter 10, that, that Scripture will direct us to that. I looked at my phone on Tuesday morning, New Year's was Monday, Tuesday I looked at my phone and I had a text from a, from a good friend of mine and he named a relative of his and he said, he trusted the Lord. This was somebody that I had prayed for at different times and not, not on a regular basis. I've actually never met this person, but, but the person who was texting me, this was a great burden for them. It was somebody who had married into their family. He was a Jewish man. And the text said he's trusted Jesus as his, as his Savior and his Messiah. And I knew that this individual lived out of state, so I texted back, I, you know, I, I was excited, I rejoicing with him in that. I said, by the way, who led him to the Lord? And he named another friend of mine. So I texted him. I said, I just heard about this individual's salvation. And, and he, made, he texted back, he said, you know, it was really exciting. He said, I, he had done it a little bit earlier, and he said, but I couldn't tell anybody because he was wanting to tell his family. He said, but when he trusted the Lord, he made the comment, I don't know why I waited so long. I am so happy. You know, how many times does somebody wait? Well, I'll do that later. And they carry that burden of sin. They, they carry the, the guilt and shame of sin and fail to realize burdens are lifted at Calvary. And then as he texts back, pray for him, because now he's going to be telling, to, and he's told me, he said, today he's telling his Jewish father. So I'm praying for his father's salvation now. And to see, he's a wonderful man, but he hadn't known Jesus. And understanding faith comes by hearing the word of God. The Scripture directs us to faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ as He's revealed in God's Word. So in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus told the Jews that were trying to kill Him, you search the Scriptures and you think you'll find eternal life, these testify of Me. God's Word points to God's Son. They need to know who God is, that He's holy, He's the Creator, that, that sin is serious because we've come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. That Christ is the one who came and died for our sins. Lived a perfect, sinless, holy life. That's what we considered as we looked at John 1. And that faith is believing. Putting our trust in. Not trusting other things, but trusting Christ alone. So we seek to teach that Scripture makes wise to salvation. And the second thing that it tells us is it matures to Christian perfection. It, it brings completeness, completeness that, that the man of God may be complete, it says in verse 17. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. How does that happen? 
Well, there's four things that are mentioned here that, that he will be equipped and there's four things that Scripture does and this is really what we need to allow it to do in our lives. The fourfold work that, that pro, really it hits two areas, it, belief and behavior, doctrine and behavior. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy, the, how, how we live, the practice. The first one is teaching. That's doctrine, that, that we see that in verse 16. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. The word there is teaching in Greek. It's used 15 times in, in the pastoral epistles. The, the idea of teaching, and that's verse 2 of chapter 4, preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Convince is the word there, that teaching idea. It's a positive word. Most of us like teaching. It tells us what's right. We like to learn. But, but the goal is not information. The, word, the goal of God's Word is transformation. You know, it, it's like we have several people that are expecting children, and, but pregnancy is not the goal. The birth is the goal. And one of our, one of our challenges, we have some um, staffing needs, even in our academy for next year, because of, of teachers that are, are pregnant. But, you know, you find as, as, a, as a expectant mother gets later and later in the pregnancy, you can tell, they're ready for this to be over. The goal is the birth of that baby. The goal of God's Word is that we would grow. First, birth, the new birth, and then growing. It's not just information. It's transformation. And so that's why the second one, for doctrine, for reproof, the idea there is, is for conviction. You know, we, we don't really like that. We like the teaching. Okay, give me doctrine. I like that. I don't like reproof. But that's what we need as sinners. Because if we're going to change, we have to know where we need to change. We have to change and grow. So when is the last time God's Word has, has convicted you? When we read God's Word, does it convict us? Say, you know what, I need to change. My heart needs to change. Or do we find ways to argue around it? Well, that doesn't really apply to me. Because isn't that our normal response? I mean, what do children usually do when you confront them with wrong? They have an excuse. It, it's not their fault. It's somebody else's fault. And if they're really good, by the time you get done, it's your fault. You know, they, they tell you all the reasons that actually it's your fault. And that's not new. That's what Adam did. Adam, did you disobey? Did you eat of the tree? Well, it's not really my fault. It's the woman. And actually, God, you gave her to me. It's your fault, God. No, we have to be submissive to the Word. So when's the last time we were convicted by the Bible? Does our conscience convict us as we read? Because that's the Spirit's working. That's really the first step that, that the Spirit's going to convict. He speaks and it's like, ooh, that's that, that still small voice for believers. If we don't respond to that, the Spirit spanks. It says in Hebrews that, that the chastening of the Lord is not pleasant, but whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And if we aren't willing to change, even for believers, there, there are sins that a person can die. He can slay. And this is what Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He said, because you're not partaking of the Lord's table properly, some of you are sick, some of you are, are sleeping. And the idea there was they had died. 
So let's be sensitive to that correction of the Lord, that that God's Word tells us where we're wrong, but it doesn't leave us there. There's nothing more frustrating than knowing you're doing something wrong and not knowing how to fix it. And so it goes on and says it's for correction. It tells us what's right. It tells us what's wrong. It tells us how to get things right. It speaks of restoration. How do I change? How do I grow? And then finally, it keeps us on the right path. Training in righteousness. That instruction in righteousness. Now, how many problems in our lives come because we're not responding biblically? Not thinking properly, we're not behaving properly. I mean, sinful patterns of living, of trying to solve life's problems without Christ. That's the world around us. Those are the struggles that we see. And Scripture provides the training that we need, the the mentoring process to teach and educate us in the ways of righteousness. Understanding as we come to God's Word, and we sometimes do this when there are trials and problems, and, and there are great passages to go through depending on what we're dealing with, but the goal is not simply relief from problems, it's righteous living. Instruction, training, in righteousness. So where do we learn that? It's not going to be in our wicked world. It's the grace of God. The grace that brings us salvation also teaches us to deny ungodliness. Well, what is godly and what is ungodly? God's Word helps us see that. That we would reject worldly desires, lusts. So, so Matthew Henry as an 11-year-old is talking about the purity of the Word. Oh, what a great prayer for our children and young people. How to be pure in a perverted world. Allow God's Word to be the foundation. And recognizing this, that, that we can learn the right way. The way of righteousness is life, Proverbs 12, 28 says. Do you know the way of righteousness? Well, how do I find that? That was, that was Thomas's question. Jesus said, I'm, I, I'm going away. And he said, the way I, where I go and the way you know. Uh, and Thomas blurts out, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus doesn't leave him hanging. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you done that? Recognizing that the Bible is entirely sufficient for salvation and then for the development of the believer into full maturity, that the man of God may be complete. The idea there is maturity and that that will be evident. So, so what are the characteristics of that maturity? I mean, how, how do we, we see that? Well, we learn to listen to God's Word. It means we have to read it. But it's not just enough to read, say, okay, I'll pick up the reading schedule, I'll mark the boxes or check it off. No, we have to meditate upon it. We have to allow it to impact our thinking and our lives. That we would understand this. And as this chapter concludes, it says in verse 17, that the man of God, Paul is addressing Timothy and said, Timothy, you need to be a man of God. And a man of God is a man of the Word. We need to be people of God. That ought to be a title for each one of us if we know Jesus Christ. How will that happen? As we know God's Word. We trust the Bible because it makes us wise to salvation and equips us for life. So when God's Word says something, but our human reasoning says, but I don't see how that's going to work, then we follow God's Word by faith.
We don't argue ourselves away from it. Say, well, that doesn't really apply to my situation. You don't know my parents. You don't know my family. You don't know my boss. You don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. You don't. We, we can always find an excuse. But we have to allow God's Word to work. Say, well, I don't know how it's going to work. Trust the Word. Do we trust the Bible? Learn to listen to the Word of God. Spiritually immature people look for answers elsewhere. And they tend to be self-focused. It's what they think, which is often what they feel. And so they're discontent, they're unstable, they're emotional roller coasters, because God's Word gives stability. We have to move from self-centered focus to Christ-centered living. Walk worthy of the Lord. Listen to the Word. Walk worthy of the Lord. And then seek to follow God's Word to solve life's problems. The issues, both personal and interpersonal. God's Word gives us the answers. And seeking to do it in a way that will bring glory to Him. That this is a time of year when lots of people set goals for exercise and all, and and that's great. No, more power to them. My ver- verses, the, the wicked flee when no one pursues, so I'm not running. Um, but you know, that is good. We, we need to be healthy. We need to serve the Lord. We need to have the strength for serving the Lord. But the Bible says that, that bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable in everything. As I mentioned at our, our all-church prayer meeting the other night, even as we get older, we find we, we don't have the strength, the stamina the, that we used to have, but spiritually we ought to be having more. That while the physical body is in decline, the spiritual life ought to be increasing. Because that's what God's Word does. Godliness is profitable in everything. The life that now is and that which is to come. Do you have that eternal life this morning? Scripture can make wise to salvation. We've shared those truths. How are you doing in your maturity? Where are the areas you need to change and grow in 2024? Will you commit to know God's Word and then be submissive to it, knowing that God provides the foundation for life through His Word? The source is trustworthy because it proceeds from God. And it gives us what we need to be mature. That the the Word is profitable for life and maturity. Will you commit to know God's Word this year? Let's pray together.